welcome to the Truth and Grace podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Russ, and I want to thank you for joining me today. On Truth and Grace, we tackle tough topics in the Christian church, and we do it by strengthening believers through God's word and pointing to his abundant grace. I don't sugarcoat it over here, but I do hope to wrestle with the messy in grace. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I want to ask for your help. If you enjoy this show, would you mind subscribing and leaving a review? By doing both, you greatly help this show in its visibility and getting it out there to more people. So please consider helping with the subscribe and review. In addition, consider becoming a Patreon supporter and help sustain this ministry through a monthly gift. Not only are you going to be helping someone else receive these resources, but you get free gifts as well. You can learn more in my show notes. Today, I want to talk about women leading in the church. This is one of those debates you'll have people boldly wrestle with. Those who want to pin women to a certain role and those who celebrate having them at the table. For those who desire to keep the glass ceiling intact, listen, I understand where you're coming from. There are some verses in the Bible that at first glance seem to restrict a woman's role in the church. And there was a time, you know, before I studied the scriptures for myself, when, you know, I took what some people said at face value, that I assumed the same. However, if you dig a little deeper, there's more to the story. Let's start with the Old Testament, okay? Now, was the Old Testament predominantly patriarchal? Yes, very much. But that doesn't mean that God didn't still use women in significant ways that defied cultural norms. Miriam was a prophet and led a nation in worship. That's in Exodus chapter 15, verse 20. Deborah was chosen by God to lead as a prophet, judge, and even led the men into battle. And that's in Judges chapter 4 and 5. She wasn't just a woman passing out advice, right? But she was a strong, wise, and obedient follower of God, and notably, both a prophet and a judge. There's only one other person in the Old Testament with both the title of prophet and judge, and that's Samuel. So that's very significant. Esther saved a nation through her bravery. That's a leader. and. Huldah was a prophet in the time of King Josiah, and you can find that in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. I'll put all of these references in my show notes for you. Furthermore, women didn't need a man to have a relationship with God or to hear from him. God spoke directly to women, and he spoke to them because he saw their value and their worth. It was often their willingness, right? The willingness that touched God's heart. All right, so that's the Old Testament. Well, what about the New Testament? Jumping to the ministry of Jesus and the early church, women were powerful tools in God's hands. Jesus looked at women and saw significant value in them, often sharing noteworthy doctrinal truths with women. He proclaimed to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life in John 11. In John 4, Jesus spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, and it wasn't any ordinary conversation either, because by speaking with her, 
Jesus was breaking through societal expectations and shattering misconceptions. Even the disciples were amazed that he even spoke to her. And it was this woman he chose to take the gospel to her village, a female evangelist to people often rejected by the Jews. It was also women who were present at the birth of the Savior, at the cross when he died, and first to see him after the resurrection. While the men often scattered, and that's just an honest observation, it's in the word. While they often scattered, it was the women who stayed close to Jesus. And it was this commitment that offered them the opportunity to be part of history. Those that Jesus used while on earth are just the beginning of women playing a significant role in Christianity. There are also women church leaders throughout the New Testament. Phoebe was mentioned by Paul in Romans chapter 16 to be a servant, or some translations say deaconess, who taught in the Sincrea church. Junia was considered outstanding by Paul and was among the circle of the apostles. Chloe, Nympha, and Aphia all led house churches. And full disclosure, I'm not 100% sure I nailed those names, but I got close. And you can find, again, those scripture references in my show notes. Paul stated in Romans 16 that there were four women who in quotations, worked very hard. And that phrase was often used by Paul to refer to ministry work. Priscilla was a church planter and someone highly regarded by Paul. Tabitha led a benevolence ministry. And Philip's four daughters were all identified as prophets. These incredible women who served as ministry leaders in the New, in the new Testament in the early church should be be normalized, right? And not made exceptions. Now, if you keep exploring further New Testament text, there are other cases made for women in ministry leadership positions. In Acts chapter two, the giftings of the spirit are poured out on men and women. There is no delineation of gifts to gender. There's no like men get these gifts and women get these gifts. The gifts of the spirit are available to both genders. The same is reflected in Ephesians chapter four, which illustrates the gifts of Christ poured out to individuals in the church. And finally, in first Corinthians chapter 12, verses one through 11, it describes the gifts of the spirit as being given to individuals, regardless of gender, age, etc. To God, it's not so much about the gender or the outward appearance. We know that we read the scripture and it's not about the outward appearance, but rather it's the heart. God can and will use anyone he chooses, regardless of what man expects of their place or value. Now, there are two verses in the New Testament often re referenced when addressing the topics of women in leadership. These are two verses that are used in the case against women in ministry. And honestly, at first glance, it makes sense why they are used. But when you dig into the context, there's more to the story. The first misused verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 34 through 35. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, 
but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Now, people will read this and use it as a case for women to be silent in the church. But in context, Paul wasn't just instructing women to be silent. If you read the other verses surrounding those two, he was also calling for those who speak in tongues and those who prophesy to do so in an orderly fashion. We know those gifts aren't wrong either. But rather what Paul was doing in this passage was giving instruction to orderly conduct within the assembly. In context, there were some women who were being disrespectful within the church and asking questions that disrupted the orderly worship. So what Paul is actually calling out is the lack of order and not women speaking in the church. We know that he was an advocate for such roles because one, Paul had already established the giftings of ministry roles to both genders in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And second, right in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see Paul mention women as participants in prayer and prophecy within the assembly. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14 isn't about women not being permitted to speak. It's about the conduct for orderly worship. The second misused verse is 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 through 15. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. It's clear in other writings from Paul that he affirmed women in leadership positions. We've talked about that. So what is Paul saying here? Well, it's likely he's speaking about a type of order here as well. Paul references in other parts of his letters to Timothy to be careful of women who were immodest, slandering, and weak-willed. This passage is likely talking more about the character of the woman and the context for which she is speaking. Now, if we're not careful, we can build a whole framework for ministry, a whole theology from one verse when taken out of context. But if you take the full work of God from Genesis to Revelation, you see God has used his daughters for centuries to build his kingdom. Why not be a celebrator of women? seeing their value, and inviting them to the table. I actually wrote a lot of this material comes from an article I wrote for Crosswalk recently. And after it was published, I got an email from a pastor. And he didn't agree. And I understood where he was coming from. And I very respectfully responded to him. But I, I did say at the end of my email, it's obvious this world is falling into chaos and there are a lot of people who need Jesus. I hope you will encourage every believer to use their gifts to reach the lost rather than suggest eliminating half of the body of Christ from using what God has put in them. I read the Bible and say that God celebrates using women in the kingdom of God and I hope you will too. Listen, now is not the time to limit the workers, right? 
but rather encourage them to step into their giftings and callings to share the gospel. When we're saying women shouldn't serve in leadership, we're asking for half of the body to not operate in their giftings and their callings. And now is not the time for that. We are in a dark place. This world is descending into chaos. We're only getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus. We need as many people as possible, pointing people to Jesus, preaching the gospel, operating in their giftings and their callings. So now's not the time to be, you know, asking half of the body of Christ to step down. No, we should be encouraging everyone to operate from their giftings and callings to point people to Jesus and to reach the lost. We are all part of the body. And when one hurts or is marginalized, the whole body suffers. So when we marginalize women, the whole body suffers for that. And so now is not the time to do that. Let in, it, Rather, let's be a celebrator, right? A celebrator of women leading. Now, as I close, I will make two disclaimers. First, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it refers to a position that in the verse, only men seem to hold. But that's the role of an elder deacon. And that's a position that is earned and not an office that is determined by gifts. So even though that verse specifically only says men, that is an earned position over time. It's not one that is an office of, say, like a pastor or a ministry leader that is determined by giftings. However, some believe that Phoebe was a deaconess, and indeed some translations use it. Phoebe was diakonos of the church at Sincrea. Paul regularly used this term for a minister or leader of a congregation and applied it specifically to several people and even to his own ministry, right? So depending on the context, diakonos is usually translated deacon or minister. Though some translators have chosen the word deaconess, for example, the RSV, because Phoebe was female. Now, though some translators have chosen the word deaconess, the Greek word, the Greek diakonos, is a masculine noun. I know this is a lot of theology and information, but what I'm saying is it seems that likely that diakonos was the designation for an official leadership leadership position in the early church. And the proper translation for Phoebe's roles, for Phoebe's role, is deacon or minister. So all to say, I make that disclaimer that 1 Timothy 3 does refer to the elder position for men. Um, however, looking at Phoebe, it could potentially also be a role held by women. That's up to interpretation, but I leave that there because I know some people will say, well, First Timothy chapter 3 says da-da-da-da-da, and so I, I put that in there for that. This second disclaimer is that as much as I celebrate and advocate for women being in leadership, I'm in leadership, you know, when it comes to a lead pastor position, I do support a woman leading alongside a man. A co-lead situation, you know, that you often find today with married couples modeling in churches where the husband and wife are co-leading together. You see that often. And I align with this belief because while men and women are equal, 
I believe that 100% and that women can be in leadership roles. I do believe God created us to have different roles. Scripture teaches that first the man was created by a direct divine act of creation and given the responsibility to lead. Subsequently, the woman was created by God from the man and for the man. He is to subdue the earth and he is given the name Adam, which also serves as the name of the entire human race. God calls the man to account and holds him responsible for the fall. So there is this while equal, we have different roles, right? We all have different men and women. Men have different, you know, traits and desires and parts about them that are different from women. God has put unique things in each of us. And so we're the equal, but our roles are just different. And when you look at scripture, we do see a headship um, where the man serves leading. And while women can certainly, certainly lead, there is something to say about a case for a male covering. And I'll leave that there. Now, I hope that this has been helpful and informative. I know this is a hot topic, but at the end of the day, we all need as many people who love Jesus discipling other people, right? Whether you're a man or a woman, God has called us all to make disciples. And that means you are leading people to Christ. That means you are a leader. So we are all called to lead, man and woman. And I hope that this brings clarity to that. Now, if you are a woman, who does desire to leave, whether that's in the church or the workplace or it's volunteer or it's paid or it's school, it's your family, whatever that looks like. You're wanting to grow as a leader. I have created an online course called Leading and Loving from the Women's Heart. And I've created this specifically for women who have a desire to grow in their leadership capacity. There is nothing like this anywhere else for women. I've checked, I've looked, there are tons of great leadership resources out there, but this is the only of its kind where it's so in-depth and it's so exhaustive and it's specifically for women. And there are things in there that I talk about that are very unique to women leading because let's be honest, there are just obstacles women face that men don't and it can be hard and there are glass ceilings. So I've put together this online course, it's a work at your own pace. It's called Leading and Loving from the Women's Heart. And it's six modules, right? And so you can work at that at your own pace. The first module is called Growing Pains, and you can uncover your strengths and your weaknesses, address past hurts, and understand the nuances of being a woman leader. The second module is called Developing Your Leadership. Learn how to hear God's voice foster vision, and bring excellence to your strategy and planning. The third module is called Leading Well. You're going to tackle topics like leading with vulnerability and humility, the importance of repentance, and modeling servant leadership. The fourth module is called Loving Well. What is the most important thing any leader can do? How to navigate sin and conflict and fighting discrimination. The fifth module is called Self-Care because you have to learn how to take care of yourself. So we're going to talk about how do you maintain a work-life balance? How do you differentiate between instruction and criticism? And how do you lead when you're drained? And the six is just sending you off well by encouraging you how to step confidently into your calling and do your creative best with what you've been given. This comes with a packed out 
workbook full of the juiciest and most helpful leadership content for women. Each lesson includes a 15 to 30 minute video that corresponds with the workbook and so that I teach through. And at the end of that, we'll include a testimony video from a woman in leadership to inspire and equip you on your own journey. There's also access to an online Facebook community to meet other women. It's oftentimes, as a woman, hard to find a safe space to talk about being a woman in leadership. And so I've created this closed Facebook community only for women who have done the course where you can meet other women leaders, you can ask questions, you can find support. All of this is worth at least $600 in value. And most online courses like this will cost about that much, but I truly want to make this accessible to you. And so I'm offering it for $67. This is amazing. So if you're interested at all in growing in your leadership, I would encourage you to go check that out. I have tons of information about it and you can get access. If you go to my show notes, I'll have the link there. But if you go to my website, it's the Leading and Loving for the Woman's Heart online leadership course. I hope you'll check it out. All right, now that's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. If this podcast is ministering to you or you think others might find it interesting, please subscribe and leave a review. A review helps this podcast grow, which helps get the word out to more people. You can also become a regular contributor to the show and Truth and Grace Ministries through Patreon. And you can find a link to my page in the show notes. Tune in again next month as we tackle tough topics in truth and grace. In the meantime, you can find more information about me, read weekly devotionals, and find out what I'm doing around the web at www.brittanyrest.com. I'll see you next time.